Just any anybody remember what these are? Huh? What kind of cookie? Oreo. Oreo. Now I heard somebody say those aren't Oreos. Well, they're kind of like Oreos. Well, this week I certainly thought that was an Oreo. And when I walked through the kitchen, I was just blowing through the kitchen. I didn't even go there to eat anything. I saw two of these up on the counter where, you know, we just keep, you know, nuts and snacks and a variety of things. And the, there were only two. It wasn't a package. There were two. And they were sitting there. And I grabbed one and I started eating it. And I thought, you know, for a vanilla and chocolate mix, Oreo, that's not too bad. So I opened the refrigerator, I got, a, got the milk jug out, and poured me a glass of milk, and I finished that first one. Then I thought, well, tomorrow I'm going to go play racquetball. I can have the second one. And I got the second one, and I finished the second one with my glass of milk. It was very good. Later on, that afternoon, that day, my wife asked me where the cookies that were on the... Alright, now, not wanting to admit that I had eaten the cookies, wanting to be strong, I said from the other room, she was in the kitchen, I'm in the family room, I said, Theo ate them. I gave them to Theo. Theo is one of my dogs. The, the boy dog. Now, I was trying to be cute and dismissive. And, and she said something further about... I said, I, said, I said, so you gave them to Theo? And I said, yeah, Theo ate them. And of course... I knew he was kidding, and I said, well, I just was wondering if you really gave him the Theo or if you ate them, because those weren't real cookies, those were doggy cookie treats. <laughs> Go home tonight, do an internet search for Oreo dog biscuits. Those are actually not Oreos at all, and they're not a knockoff either. They have dog biscuits now that are, I mean, to me, it certainly looked like I ate both of them with a glass of milk. And she laughed, and she laughed, and it was so funny. And then my daughter, she had to tell my daughter, there are certain things you've got to share. You might, not sh you might not share them with everybody, but you've got to share them with your daughter. Do you have that? Could you bring it up? Yeah. My daughter has been in the middle of my sermons for many years. All right. So what we're going to do here, quickly, dear, 
All right, that's, that's fine. That's what my daughter sent back. You want to pass that back? No way it's going to go off. Touch the screen so it doesn't go off every so often. Go ahead and pass it around. Let... <laughs> this was my daughter's response via text message. So this, this is the family that God has given me. <laughs> Thank you that you chose. <laughs> And all of a sudden, into my mind pops the word I knew I was going to use tonight in sharing some ideas with you. Fake. And I wonder how often we, as Christians, set things out before an unbelieving world And the world thinks they're getting a Christian Oreo, a biblical Oreo, and what they're getting is a dog biscuit. Could somebody tell me what you must do for God to accept you? What must you do for God to accept you? Nothing. Nothing. You sure? In our evangelism, in our sharing Jesus with unbelievers, we, we, we certainly make it seem as though there's something that they need to do. You, you've got to... And here's what Paul said in Ephesians... He said, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So, we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. King James says there in that, those last several words, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. And Paul wrote in Romans, while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. God so loved me, he so knew that by responding without asking me, he wanted to bring me into his family through Jesus. He wanted to do it because it gave him pleasure that while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. I didn't do anything to deserve that. In fact, I was running from God. What must you do to become righteous? What do you have to do to become righteous? See, now you think I'm going to trick you or something. <laughs> well, what do you tell somebody who's not following Christ? Do you set out for them the Christian biscuit? 
the typical evangelical answer? Well, you need to change, you need to repent, you need to start coming to church, you need to start giving and tithing. I had somebody tell me the other day that, that, that if this, this individual didn't tithe, then there was going to be a curse. I said, where in the world did you get that? It's in the Bible. I said, I know exactly where you got that. You got that from the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 3, where it says, God will curse you if you don't bring all your tithes and offerings into the storehouse. There's lots of things, dear ones, that are in the Bible that Jesus did not teach. There's lots of things in the Bible that Paul did not teach. Because it all changed after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And so again, I ask you, what must you do to become right with God? Well, here's Paul's answer. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So, from now on, we don't regard anyone from a worldly point of view. I want to underscore here. I don't know if you can see my red dot. From now on, we regard, read it aloud with me, no one from a worldly point of view. How many is no one? Who would you include in the word no one in the phrase? Would that include your neighbor? Yeah. Would that include a fellow employee? Yeah. Would that include somebody that you hear about on the news that's done something despicable in the community? Maybe robbed somebody? Would that include them? From now on, we regard no one from a... Did you know that there is a worldly point of view in how you treat people? And then there is a kingdom, Christ point of view in how we should treat people. Are you listening to me? There is a worldly way in which you can treat people. And there is a godly, kingdom, Christ-like, Pauline, gospel-like way that you can treat people. And Paul said, I'm not treating anybody, and neither should you treat anybody anymore from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ himself in this way, we don't do it any longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. He continues, well, we'll stop there. The new creation has come. I'll read it to you. The old one has gone, the new one is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us 
this message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Two things stand out to me there. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. And this, he has committed to us this message of reconciliation. We should not be approaching anybody with a worldly point of view. We have to adjust our attitudes and adjust the way that we think about everyone so that we're approaching them in the way that Paul teaches us here. It's called the ministry of reconcile, uh, reconciliation or reconciling people to God. This is the way you approach everybody. It's your ministry. It's the ministry of reconciliation. You do that by starting and believing. You, you begin from the place of believing, verse 19, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. Therefore, he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. That's where you start. You don't start viewing their sin. You don't start viewing their mistakes. You don't start viewing how differently they live from you. You don't start with, my goodness, that person needs to change their lives. You don't start with, boy, that person sure could use church. <laughs> you don't begin there with anybody. You begin with the fact that God was in Christ reconciling that person. I don't care who they are or what evil they may have done or what's in their life. God has reconciled them to Christ. Question. When it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, is that a conclusion or a condition? Look up above. For Christ's love compels us. We're convinced that one died for how many? Therefore, all died. And he died for? All that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and was raised again. So from now on, we don't regard anyone from a worldly point of view. Therefore, when you see a therefore, you know what I'm about to say, right? When you see a therefore, we've always been taught, look back in the context to the previous verses to see what he's talking about when he says, therefore. The therefore leads you to a statement he's about to make concerning what he's just said in the previous context. All right. He's talking about how Christ died for all. All died. One died for all. He died for all. Therefore, we no longer live for ourselves. And now we don't regard anyone, regardless of who they are, according to a worldly point of view. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. How should you regard every human being as a new creation? That isn't a condition. That's a conclusion. 
Therefore, if Christ did die for all, therefore, if in Christ all died, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. It's not a condition, it's a conclusion. Next question. What must you do to go to heaven? Oh, come on. <laughs> Nothing? Well, you know we're going to read a scripture from the teaching of Paul. <clears throat> Post the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Keep that in mind. The Gospels are not where you get the Gospel that you share. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are not where you get the Gospel or the ministry that you have been given to share with unbelievers. You do not turn to the Gospels to share the ministry of reconciliation. You have to go to the teaching of Paul to share the ministry of reconciliation. You go to the Gospels to find out about the death and burial of Jesus. You go to Paul's teaching to find out about your ministry. God made him who had no sin to be sin, read it, for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. John 1.12 To as many as received him, what's, help me with the verse, to them he became, to them he gave the right to become the sons of God. To as many as received him, the Greek word receive means to acknowledge. Somebody said it here, believe. What do you do when you believe? You acknowledge and trust something that God has already done for you. How do you go to heaven? Not by anything you can do. The only thing you can do is believe, acknowledge and trust in what God has already done through the person of Jesus Christ. Question. I have a question. I have a question why that's there. All right, let's just stay there. Why do we bait and switch when we share Jesus? Why do I make it about things that need to change, new commitments that need to be made, church that has to be attended, change your life. Would it not be a little bit like my wife setting out those fake Oreo cookies trying to trap me into eating? <laughs> Temptation. There's scripture about not tempting somebody. Dog food. He, he failed to mention they that. Might they, they, might the they might have been. They might have been. They might have been. I thought, why are these Oreo cookies sitting on the dog food tub? They're not wrapped up. They're not in the Ziploc. Ready to eat. Ready to eat. Ready to eat. 
right, well, I got you talking about it. <laughs> Distorted behavior or sin is the result of a warped self-image. Stay with me. A lost sense of our identity is the basis of all sin. You say, oh my goodness, this sounds new age. No, watch. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Now the serpent was more shrewd than any of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, is it really true that God said, you must not eat from any tree of the orchard? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the orchard, but concerning the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the orchard, God said, you must not eat from it and you must not touch it, which he did not say. So she's already adding to what God said, or else you will die. Now that's true. The serpent said to the woman, watch what he says. Surely you will not die. He flatly lies and contradicts what God has said. Now watch this. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like divine beings who know good from evil. In other words, Adam, Eve, you are not already like God, at least enough. And he knows, he's kept something from you. And he knows that if you will eat this, you will become even more like him. In fact, you will gain a supernatural power to know good from evil. Sin originated with a lie about who Adam and Eve were inside and their relationship with God. All sin starts with a warped self-image and a lost sense of your identity. The word for sin is harmatia. It's a compound word. It comes from the word ha, which means without, and moros, which means portion or form. So in other words, without form or without your portion. God knows that you are without all of the form that you could have, and he's held back a portion from you that if you will take and eat of this, you will get something God failed to give you or intentionally didn't give you because he didn't want you to be complete. The word sin, harmatia, means to be without your allotted portion or to have a distorted, bankrupt identity. Sin means living outside of the context of the blueprint of your design 
that God created you to have in the garden when it all started. It means that we begin to behave out of tune with God's original harmony. It means to be out of step with your true sonship. Listen to this, Deuteronomy chapter 32. We'll go back and dip into the Old Testament. Watch this, verse 18. I don't know if I put this one up, I did. You have forgotten the rock who fathered you and put out of mind the God who gave you birth. Why do we set out a fake Christian gospel to unbelievers who don't yet know him? Are you sure that what you're telling people is the gospel according to the New Testament? Are you sure that you're telling people what God has done for them already? Do you remember when God came back into the garden after they had eaten? They had run and hid. And you remember God comes into the garden. He's looking for them. Adam, where are you? And they were hiding. And when they encountered one another, do you remember the conversation? We hid because we were naked. We were ashamed. We had lost our identity. We thought you now hated us. You were going to judge us. You were going to condemn us. You didn't want to have anything to do with us. And yet God's the one pursuing them. He's the one still walking, still coming into the garden. He's going towards them. They're the ones that have hid. Sin always produces that because it's a loss of identity. It's a loss of who you are in Christ. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. And they saw themselves in this condition that Satan promised them would actually improve them, but he lied to them and they believed the lie. And now they're walking in shame and guilt. And do you remember what God said to them? Who told you that you were naked? Who told you you were naked? Who told you you have to do this list of good works? Who, who's told you that coming to Christ, going to heaven, being in right standing with the Lord requires you to do a list of moral behaviors. Attend church, be involved, sing in the choir, I mean, whatever it is. <laughs> Who told you that? Sin isn't something that we do or don't do. It's missing out on our sonship. They believed the lie that they needed something else outside of what Christ had already created. And so the root of sin is to believe a lie about yourself. It's the fruit of the I am not tree. 
But the Bible says Christ redeemed us. Do you remember the two sons? We always talk about the one because evangelicalism has taught us that the whole story is really about the prodigal son who leaves. I submit to you, equally as important as the prodigal who leaves is the son who stays and later has a conversation with his father when the prodigal does come home and the father lavishes him. He doesn't question him. He doesn't call him to account for his lifestyle. He doesn't share a list of things he has to change. He doesn't preach that gospel of, of change and you've got to repent. You've got to do all these things. The father lovingly accepts him puts a garment on him that he's not given to anybody else, has the fatted calf killed, he puts a ring on his finger that's worth... And, and then throws a big party for him. And his brother comes out of the house and says to the father, you never did that... Did, you've never done those things for me. What do you mean? I have loved you. I've never left your house. I've obeyed all the rules. I've done everything you've asked me to do. I've been good. I've been righteous. I've measured up. And you've never done any of those things for me like you're doing for my brother who left, spent his inheritance on lousy, riotous living, wasted everything you gave him and everything that he was, feeding slop to pigs. And he comes back here like a beggar and you throw a party for him. You've never done that for me. And his father says, Son... Everything I have is yours. You could have had it all. You could have partaken in any of it. You could have been enjoying it in any way you would have liked to. All this time. Your world is not falling apart. It's falling into place. Stay steady. Your world is not falling apart. It's falling into place. Because God loves you.